Hello and welcome to The Slow Reader. My name is Steve and this is a podcast about books. Most of the time read slowly, uh, but this book uh, that I'm talking about today, I actually sped through it pretty quickly. Uh, I read The Caves of Steel by Isaac Asimov. And uh, this is this was a really fun book. I really enjoyed it. I think I gave it four stars on Goodreads, but to be honest, I don't have that pulled up right now, so that uh, that may be inaccurate. Uh, but uh, I actually wrote out by hand a a very lengthy review. I think I ended up getting let's see one, two, three, four and a half pages uh, of uh, of a full review, and I was gonna publish it online, but uh, I decided I would do the podcast instead, which is funny because originally I was going to do a podcast for it, and then I decided, no, I, I think I would rather write something out. So um, yeah, basically, I've, I'm very wishy-washy on this, but so I decided uh, um, to do this review on the podcast. I actually have two copies of this book. One of them uh, is a fairly new edition. Uh, I'm just going to pull up. Uh, let's see. It was this edition was printed. Uh, looks like. Oh, I'm having uh, trouble finding the date here. Um, this one was. Well, the cover art is copyright 1991. I, I'm not seeing the publication date for this. Uh, it is a Bantam Spectra edition. Um, this uh, it was originally published by Doubleday in 1954, uh, and yeah, it looks like this edition was 1991. I think um, that's the last copyright I see in the uh, in the front matter here. Um, anyway, I bought this book. I don't know how long ago I bought it, but it was it was last year sometime. Uh, I bought it from the uh, the Canadian bookstore Indigo. It, I I bought it with um, the Futurama graphic novel collection, and this book is kind of like a generic science fiction cover. They've got uh, a detective, or or it well, it's assumed a detective because the main character is the detective, uh, wearing kind of a futuristic trench coat and uh, holding a. a cool looking blaster and then uh beside him is is someone wearing like a a blue suit uh with you know very slick back hair and they're kind of standing in what like a futuristic setting there's like a tube on there with a car floating through it um actually now that I'm looking at it I think it says police on the side of this red car so that's that's actually kind of neat um but uh Later on, in at a thrift store, I found a an older copy of the Caves of Steel. This one is from Fawcett Crest. I've never heard of this uh, publication or publishing company, uh, but this one. Uh, I'm trying to find the front matter of this one. Um, so it says this book contains the complete text of the original hardcover edition. Uh, it looks like the copyright for this one is uh, May 1971, I think. Um, selection of the Science Fiction Book Club. So that, I guess, is uh, where this one comes from. But uh, it's a much thinner book. The The book that I got from Indigo, it has an introduction by Isaac Asimov, which um, is actually, like, it seems very self-congratulatory. And 
Like he, he talks about all the stories that he wrote through the fifties and how, uh, his editor friend begged him to write another story about robots. And he, he, uh, he thought that uh, it was a desire to write a different type of story. So he thought that he could he could write a mystery novel and set it in the sci-fi world of his robots because he didn't want to just write another story about robots. Um, and then and it, just at the at the end of it, he just sounds very proud of himself. It's it's an amusing introduction. But the I, I like to read the back summary of the book and. I think that the summary of the older book is a lot more fun to read. So I'm going to read that one for you from the back cover. He looked like a man. He walked like a man. He talked like a man, but he wasn't a man. Detective R. Daniel Oliva was a robot. When Lige Bailey was summoned by the police commissioner to investigate the murder of Spacetown's leading scientist, he was told his new partner would be a robot a very special robot created by the murdered man himself. News of the crime had to be kept secret, and it had to be solved before the hostile space towners could use it to cause political upheaval. Oliva's identity also had to be kept secret. Anti-robot feeling was reaching riot proportions. The mission was almost impossible for a human. But our Daniel Oliva wasn't human. Detective Bailey found Daniel's way to the truth the most terrifying experience of his life. That's actually like a pretty thrilling description of the book. And, and like I said, I, I it's much better than the 1991 edition. And even the cover of this uh, 71 edition is is a little more interesting. They've got uh, they've got a picture of a man with like a robotic hand in place of his arm, like the skin isn't showing. And there's like reflections of him repeated through the book. And it's it's kind of it's kind of weird. Um, not sure how to how to describe it any better than, than the 1991 copy, but uh, it's definitely a more interesting book cover and, and design. But it's, like I said, very thin. Uh, it dives right into the first chapter, which uh, Asimov named all of his chapters. So, like, you kind of get an idea of what's going on in it ahead of time. It's like the first chapter is conversation with the commissioner, and it literally is a conversation with a commissioner. And later on, chapter 16, I just flipped open to it. Questions concerning a motive. And yeah, it's 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 very interesting overall. And I, I, uh, I got a lot out of this. And like the overall theme through the book is like a fear of obsolescence and also like the precarious balance of... Uh, of nature, basically of, of humans and nature and their and their uh, current setup, because humans are living in the the caves of steel are the cities that they live in, and uh, they're basically these huge bubbles. And what they what they've done is they've enclosed like New York City is this giant area, and it's even consumed like uh, outer areas around it, and and humans live. Um, it's a very, very rigid lifestyle. Like they have ratings that give them certain privileges and whatnot. And it's, it's, uh, uh, they, they work their way up the, up the ladder. I I was going to call it a corporate ladder, which I guess isn't too far off, but they work themselves up to higher and higher ratings. So they get more privileges. Like for example, um, Lige has a certain rating that allows him to have private access to, uh, what they call a personal, which is basically a washroom, 
Whereas if your access is too low, you have to go and share a washroom with other people. And, and it, uh, it, there's, there's a distinct lack of privacy throughout the society. Um, like interestingly enough, in the, the first chapter when Lige, Elijah is his full name, uh, talks to the commissioner, he, uh, the commissioner shows off a newly installed window on his office and, and Elijah is really uh, turned off by this idea that someone would want to reduce their privacy like that. Um, and, and he describes the commissioner also as a medievalist. And that actually kind of got me interested too. Um, they called, they referred to people who preferred the medieval times medievalists. Um, and the medieval times they're describing are basically what we're living through right now, um, or as Futurama would describe it, the stupid ages. Uh, and you know what? Right now, the stupid ages is actually quite uh, an apt description of uh, of our times right now. I think. Um, so, so yeah, the the to go through the the story really quickly, and and a warning of spoilers here. As mentioned at the top of the of the show of the description. Um, there's there's been a murder in Spacetown, and Spacetown is this separate domed city that where the people that they call spacers live, and the spacers are the people who left Earth a long time ago and colonized uh, outer planets, and this group came back to Earth. Um, the reasons why they came back isn't exactly clear at first, but um, they've, they've come back, they live separately, and there's some animosity between the two groups. Um, the, the description that I read, they, they cause it, uh, the hostile space towners, but they're not really hostile. They just like to keep to themselves because there's, there's things like they have, because they've left earth, they've eradicated diseases and they're, they live like a pristine life. And even one of the characters, uh, that Elijah talks to in space town says like quite matter of factly that a, the common cold could kill a spacer because they're not they don't have the an, the antibodies or the immune system built up to fight the common cold. So like when Elijah goes to visit Spacetown for his investigation, he has to go through this decontamination process and it's it's quite involved. Like he um it's it's uh it's described like, you know, basically like he has to undress, go get showered, like sprayed off um just yeah decontaminate himself just so he can talk to a spacer um so yeah where was i um yeah so the the murders already happened at the start of the book so the commissioner assigns um assigns elijah to investigate the case and the spacers want to pair him with someone from spacetown and it uh, it's revealed that this partner that Elijah is going to have is a robot. That's R. Daniel Oliva, and the R stands for robot. Um, and and already at the beginning of the novel, I mentioned the the theme of the fear of obsolescence. Um, we're introduced to R. Sammy, a robot in the police department who's already replaced somebody from the de- the department, and and this is a fear that the Earth people have of robots in general, that they're going to replace them and and make them obsolete. And this, from the beginning, kind of distracts Elijah from his job. And he, I, I don't think he investigates properly. Like, um, in the first half of the book, he's sure that 
Daniil is the one who uh, who perp- who who uh, killed the the scientist that at the beginning of the book because there's a riot at the start uh, when Daniil and and Elijah are returning to his home and Elijah is really kind of nervous and he wants to uh, he wants to call for backup whereas Daniil says like shouldn't we uh, shouldn't we control this ourselves and Elijah is like no no we we got to call backup like this is going to get dangerous and what ends up happening is Daniil quells the the riot without firing a shot like he stands up yells at everybody and uh, and he claims that he's going to shoot the next person that moves. And so this is kind of where it starts that uh, that Elijah suspects the robot. Because even though the the laws of robotics say that robots can't harm a human, it seems odd to Elijah that uh, this robot is going to uh, threaten to shoot somebody. But it, it turns out later that it's, you know, Daniil is a robot and he is... Uh, he, he does. Uh, he is governed by the laws of robotics, and he can't harm humans. And he he had no intention to shoot, so that's why he was able to threaten to shoot. He was able to pull out his weapon, and then it even turns out that his blaster wasn't even loaded. Like he can't. He if he took out his blaster and fired, nothing would happen. Because um, this is that's revealed in the second time that Elijah. Um, uh, accuses Daniil of murdering the scientist. Um, but, uh, but yeah, the, the investigation continues. And it, when Elijah goes to Spacetown, the, the, the person that he talks to basically describes their entire plan. Uh, the spacers have like they, they need to, they realize that they're so long lived and they're, they are, very selective in who they allow to live when someone is born. Like they are, they are really terrible people. They, they basically determine at birth whether a child is good enough to live. And if not, then they kill the child. Um, and, and they kind of realize that they can't continue on this way. Like eventually they're going to die out. So they, they realize that humans on earth, they have this sort of drive uh, in them that that the spacers don't have, and they think that they can c- combine both ways of life and and colonize other worlds and uh, that aren't yet colonized. and And part of this plan is to get humans comfortable with robots working lo- alongside them. And so, um, this is uh, uh, this is how th- part of this investigation and pairing. Daniil with Elijah is a means to that end. Um, it's it's revealed later that they they drug Elijah with something that makes him more susceptible to new ideas. And like throughout the novel, Elijah kind of comes around to the idea of of this plan and thinks, you know what, this is actually a really good idea, and I think I should convince other people of it. And he. Um, I don't know. I, I think uh, I think what he's talking about is is a good thing because, like I, I mentioned, the, the other undercurrent is the precarious balance of human life on Earth. Um, it's frequently mentioned that if you know one little thing can go wrong, and Earth would basically like the society would collapse. Um, there is uh, 
they have like yeast farms is what they call them. And if, you know, yeast production, something happened, then, you know, it like humans wouldn't be able to live. And there's actually uh, in, in the chapter where they, uh, Elijah interviews a suspect um, who is a medievalist and is the leader of a group that uh, wants to um, disrupt society and get rid of robots. And they have a huge conversation about this. Um, so, th- like, there's uh, there's a section where they're, t- they're talking and uh, there's a few quotes that I pulled out of here. So Bailey muttered, 8 billion people and the uranium is running out. What's unlimited about it? What if the uranium does run out? We'll import it or we'll discover other nuclear processes. There's no way you can stop mankind, Lige. You've got to be optimistic about it and have faith in the old human brain. Our greatest resource is ingenuity and we'll never run out of that, Lige. And uh, this character goes on and on and um, uh, he keeps on going. Uh, he says, for one thing, we can use sun power, and that's good for billions of years. We can build space stations inside Mercury's orbit to act as energy accumulators. We'll transmit energy to Earth by direct beam. Um, and, and the one quote that really stood out to me was, uh, Nora said, when it's necessary, it'll be done. Why worry? And so that kind of like speaks to me as, you know, uh, he's it's people not thinking of the future. Like they're thinking of the right now and uh, kicking the can down the road. And that's kind of like how a lot of society over the past 60 or so years and even longer have thought like, you know, things are working fine right now. We'll we'll figure out how to fix things down the road, but why worry about it right now? And that's kind of where it's got us to the trouble that we're in right now where the environment is uh, not doing well and uh, climate change is has been a big thing in the last several decades and we're only now trying to do things about it and still there are people who are saying like well don't worry about it right now we'll we'll figure it out when we need to um so so yeah it's uh it's that it's quite the heavy book for being written in 1954 um anyways so they they go on and and eventually it's discovered that uh they, they bring the suspect in and they have him arrested. They have him in the station. And they find out at the end that the robot, our Sammy, has been uh, destroyed. And Elijah is the prime suspect because of his attitudes toward robots. His, uh, he had the, the the weapon that was used to destroy the robot. He had the means to uh, to pick it up and the time to pick it up. And and so he's, he's framed and he has to figure out who framed him and, and why. And it turns out in the end that it was actually the commissioner who visited Spacetown before uh, Elijah and before the murder. And uh, what he had done was he sent his robot, our Sammy, outside of the domes where humans are like completely afraid to travel outside. He sends Sammy with a blaster and the commissioner intended to shoot Oliva, who is actually designed to look exactly like the scientist that was murdered, but he ends up shooting the scientist by accident, and uh, and he's he's the murderer. But it turns out that the spacers weren't really all that interested in solving the murder. They they kind of were were just using this as as an, uh, an excuse or an opportunity to try and push forward their 
agenda of trying to get humans and spacers and robots to all work together to to leave the planet. So, um, so in the end, um, basically everything is kind of washed and and shoved under the carpet, and Elijah gets uh, um, uh, exonerated. I guess he doesn't get charged with anything, and in the end of it. Uh, Bailey has come around to liking Daniil, and uh, uh, they they the novel ends with Bailey suddenly smiling, took our Daniil's elbow, and they walked out the door arm in arm. So they kind of end it on a Casablanca note, where uh, they're going to become partners, and and there's actually a sequel to this book. Um, yeah, I I I really liked it. I think it was a good story. Everything tied together, and I had read before this um the spare man uh, i i talked about that in the last episode and in comparison this is a much better story a much better mystery than the spare man and i had recently listened to an episode of writing excuses which is a podcast about a bunch of writers and uh and they they talk about writing and they broke down the spare man and one of the things that really bothered me when they were talking about it is that um, Mary Robinette Kowal, who's the author of The Spare Man, she mentioned that a lot of the appeal to mysteries and mystery novels is the character interactions during the investigation process. It brings out the character in in the novels. And I thought that The Spare Man did a really bad job of this. I didn't really like the characters all that much. In contrast... Uh, the Caves of Steel, the characters were really interesting and they had motivations beyond just trying to set up the character as a suspect for you to uh, to latch onto or create red herrings. And and I thought they were well-formed characters and I really liked it. And like after reading The Caves of Steel, and I, I just became very disappointed in The Spare Man as a result. And, and speaking of the characters, like, I, I had a really great time with them. Like I said, I think Daniil was my favorite character. He was just so matter of fact and didn't understand rhetoric and sarcasm. Uh, he was he was fun, and I think my favorite moment is actually the the early chapter where he stops the riot from happening without firing a gun. Um, and then characters, there's characters like Commissioner Enderby, who I kind of uh, got the picture of him in my head of. Jim Broadbent's character in Hot Fuzz like I just that's the kind of character I had but just having him a little more timid than uh, than his character in Hot Fuzz it just created a, an amusing image in my head and and I thought uh, thought that was fun like he even he even wore glasses a medievalist who who didn't get his eyes corrected he wears glasses to correct his vision um yeah all all in all like a very very solid book and I had some other fun observations that popped out to me uh, while I was reading this. Um, it's like some of the great lines early on, uh, the commissioner says of the murder, he died of a missing chest. Someone had used a blaster on him. And uh, and I think Elijah is, has this line here. You mean cooperate with him 100% except that I cut his throat, pat him on the back with a knife in my hand? Um, I don't know. I, I thought that was... Uh, uh, a fun imagery, or not fun imagery, but uh, very good imagery there. And uh, I, I found it funny that throughout the novel, Elijah says Jehoshaphat 
often. Um, like that's a kind of a curse word. Um, and in chapter five, at one point he says, why the Dickens? He's, he's just got some very old fashioned sayings and kind of makes me wonder what kind of sayings we say today that, uh, that will actually travel forward thousands of years. Um, there was also a point where, uh, when they were talking about status throughout the book, and I mentioned earlier, the higher your status level, the more privileges and that you get, and with more privileges, you get more time to yourself. And it was actually kind of relevant that I, I recently, when I was reading that, I had read a piece by Cory Doctorow that talked about uh, time tax and just basically how the more money and privilege you have in life, the more time you get back to yourself. And that like the poorer you are, the less time you have in the day. And it just really, really kind of cool how things are, are really just relevant. And that from, like I said, 1954 was when this was published. And it's just, just, yeah, it's, it's crazy how, how many things I related to in this novel. Um, in the show notes, I will put a link to that uh, time tax article that I mentioned. Um, in my book, pages 120 to 121, um, they mentioned like uh, there was, uh, they're talking about, again, what would happen if things get shut down for a little bit uh, and like what would happen to the cities. Um, one of the questions was, what would happen to New York if the tremendous flow of input and outgo were to be interrupted for even a single hour? Um, and the, the response to that is, it never has been, which is no security for the future. In primitive times, individual population centers were virtually self-supporting, living on the produce of neighboring farms. Nothing but immediate disaster, a flood or a pestilence or crop failure could harm them. As the centers grew and technology improved, Localized disasters could be overcome by drawing on help from distant centers, but at the cost of making ever larger areas interdependent. In medieval, in medieval times, the open cities, even the largest, could subsist on food stores and on emergency supplies of all sorts for a week at least. Um, and it continues, when New York first became a city, it could, and this, sorry, just as an aside, when they say city, they mean these domed caves of steel. Uh, it could have lived on itself for a day. Now it cannot do so for an hour. A disaster that would have been uncomfortable 10,000 years ago, merely serious 1,000 years ago, and acute 100 years ago would now be surely fatal. And that reminds me of uh, back last July in Canada when um, the the Rogers company, their entire internet network, like cell coverage um, and internet itself, it just was completely out for a day and, and it lasted even a few more days. And it just like society didn't fall apart, but so many things were affected as a domino effect of that. Like, um, you know, some stores couldn't use debit and credit cards. Uh, some people couldn't get money out, like people that didn't have cash ready and couldn't pay for things. And it just a lot of businesses couldn't operate plain and simple. And that's just, kind of what that seems to be talking about to me like you know for a day we were without internet and we could barely operate like what would happen if all of a sudden the internet everywhere just died like we we'd have a lot of trouble and this is kind of what uh what what that reminded me of and and 
I could see that being a problem down the road for sure. Um, oh yeah. And, and, and another fun thing, uh, on one page, there were references to both Toronto and Winnipeg, uh, which uh, Toronto, I can understand, but Winnipeg seems like a random, uh, addition to, uh, to when they're talking about, about cities. Um, and then lastly, the, the last observation that I had was just that for, I'd say for about the first, first quarter of the book, when Lige thinks that uh, Daniil is possibly not a robot, um, he that's when he first is uh, accusing Daniil of the murder. He thinks that Daniil is actually the scientist and that it was the robot that was murdered. Um, he's he's uh, When he does finally get convinced that Daniil is actually a robot, in the narration, there's uh, different observations as of Daniil's robotic qualities that are peppered in that you didn't see before that. And so I thought that was a kind of nice touch by Asimov to, to start making that change. So yeah, overall, fantastic novel. I am very glad that uh, that Josh uh, Wettenkamp recommended this to me. The next book I'm reading is, uh, I've got a, an advanced reader copy of Gibby, which is uh, uh, the John Gibbons autobiography, who was a former major league coach for the Toronto Blue Jays and other organizations. Um, so I'm reading that right now. We have uh, an interview on our, on the podcast to do with my brother, Jays from Home. We have an interview with John Gibbons. Um, that that may, or may not be a secret. I don't know. But I think the, the listener crossover between uh, Jays from Home and the slow reader won't be giving away too much on that one. But uh, I also have a book of short stories called Asimov's Mysteries, which are more sci-fi mysteries. And uh, I started reading that, but haven't gotten past the first story yet. But I think I'm going to save that until after I finish the Gibby book. So um, yeah, I'll have lots more to talk about, but I am very happy to have read this book and uh, looking forward to finishing Asimov's Mysteries. So thank you very much for listening. And thanks, Josh, again, for recommending The Caves of Steel. I had a lot of fun with it. And uh, we'll see you next time I record something. Mm-hmm.